Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Alison Rudd of The Times and Daniel Storey the author and columnist. This might be a long week. Pep has got his retaliation in first by suggesting that Sadio Mane might, just might, be a diver. Expect fire to be returned by Jurgen Klopp, whose press conferences are performance art. City and Liverpool have relatively easy Champions League matches before they meet at Anfield on Sunday. It might be an exaggeration to say the Premier League title's at stake, but not that much. Oh, I think it might be. I certainly... Why on earth, if you're Pep Guardiola, would you say that about Sadio Mane? Unless it's getting to you. Unless you feel you need an extra edge at a stadium where City haven't won since 2003, I think. I mean, it's clearly getting to him that it's a place that transcends normal rules of engagement doesn't matter what form his team are in. doesn't matter if he radically changes tactically as he did last season. They didn't look like Man City last season when they went to Anfield. So what's he going to do to get an edge in the title race, which he needs to do at this stage, I think, other than starting mind games? And I just don't think, because of Guardiola's illustrious history, I don't think he's used to mind games the way that some managers have There's been. There's an awkwardness about him. Yeah, well, he's not used to it. This isn't his modus operandi. He does his my football and my players do the talking and their intensity and their commitment to the cause do the talking, not playing games. And I think he's generally seen as someone who's... Um, I mean, he's, you know, what, how, have we, how have we come to know him in the Premier League? We've come to know him as someone who'll put his arm around an opposition player and give him 18 minutes of advice. So he's, not, <laughs> he's not somebody who, who goes for those below-the-belt jibes. And it must have been premeditated because they were both playing at the same time. How can he know exactly what unfolded at, at Villa Park? So he was clearly thinking, I'm going to be clever with my post-match here and get my retaliation in early. But it's so misguided. You know, at best, it'll have no impact, but probably it'll just mean that, that Anfield will be extra sizzling, Sadio Mane will be extra sizzling. You know, I, I doubt he'll do that thing where he, he does a diving celebration in front of the, <laughs> the City bench, which should he score. But it does, it does, I can't see how it could possibly benefit City from raising the stakes like that. No, and if you look at Liverpool at the moment, you, you saw them at mm. Villa Park, Dan. There was a remorselessness and almost a predictability about them. A bit like, you know, they reminded me of the All Blacks. I know that sounds a bit daft, but the All Blacks, in tight situations, find a way to win. 
That's what Liverpool are like. Yeah, and it's almost unprecedented for Liverpool. You know, since they lost to City in January, they've, they've conceded the first goal of a Premier League game seven times and they've won six of them. So this is, as you say, a relentlessness, a remorselessness that they are just determined to get things done. And, and they're not perfect at the moment. You know, Klopp will be irked by the lack of clean sheet. They are conceding only one a game. It's not worse than that, but they are conceding one a game. Mohamed Salah was pretty profligate again in front of goal and was substituted to try and facilitate victory. So they're not perfect, but the reality is they're not needing to be at the moment because of this relentlessness, because they are so determined to get it over the line and by, by all accounts and just to, to make up for, for what they see as regret last season in the Premier League title race. And I, I honestly, I, I don't think this is title on the line, but if they beat Manchester City, then it's a huge, huge statement of intent. Mm. You, know, you said Anfield's going to be sizzling. Is that almost the reflection, well, obviously one of the stakes involved, but the, the reflection of the emotional intensity and commitment of some of those players to Liverpool Football Club? I'm thinking specifically about Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, 100, 100 games playing for Liverpool already, and that combination he's got with Andy Robertson, who has got an affinity with the fans as well. You know, they are probably the best attacking pair of fullbacks in the world, aren't they, at the moment? I would say so. Um, and I think, I mean, you, you must have seen for yourself, 40 crosses Liverpool put in against Aston Villa. 40 crosses. They just kept going and going. And you might think, oh, actually, well, wasn't it last season they emerged as this great sort mm. of fullback attacking force? And yet they're putting in, uh, on average, more crosses this season than they did last season. It's not as if people have found Liverpool out. And I think probably when we come to analyse the title race, when we're in May and we look back, I think that'll be really significant, is how they've... Robertson and, 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 and Trent, have, they've moved... They've, they've progressed faster than other teams have got to grips with them. That's amazing. And the other amazing thing is that the, is the, uh, the faith that Klopp shows in those two as a pairing. He, he knows they've got, you know, the accuracy of delivery... If you keep going, if you just keep going, you will eventually find that, that the perfect cross that will be met by volley or a header, it will happen, it will happen. And I think what marks so far this campaign out as different from last season for Klopp has been, has been that sense of patience. And afterwards he sometimes says, OK, we, we conceded, as you say, they keep mm. conceding. We concede, but we do not panic. We just think we know what we've got and we'll keep going. So they, they have kept to their template and... They have complete faith in it, and and in as you say, as, as in the progress of an already outstanding fullback partnership. Mm. Can we look at the coaches? Uh, there's a study in contrast there in terms of character, but is Klopp pretty clever in hiding his inner pep? In other words, that sort of grumpy perfectionist that probably is still there in the background. Yeah, I mean th there are clear differences, and I think Klopp would would happily concede that um, he is less, probably slightly less involved with the minutiae of, of those tactical plans. Uh, he, re he relies on a pretty incredible ability to motivate players to be bigger than they've ever been before and to be better in, you know, in, in cohesion than they could ever be separately. Uh, and that kind of team spirit is, is something we've seen right through his career. Uh, he has always... Uh, succeeded as an underdog 
And the one test of Liverpool will be as title favourites when they are, it's a cliche, but they are everybody's cup final and they're the, the team that everyone wants to bring down. But we've not seen many signs of them struggling under that weight of pressure at the moment. So, yeah, he's a man who seems to deflect pressure incredibly well purely by the force of his own personality, whether it be deflecting that pressure away from him and his team or absolving it himself and therefore releasing any pressure on the players. They, they are allowed pretty much to get on with it because he, he has complete faith in them doing that. Mm. There are obviously you know, mental elements to that, but let's look at the physical side. Klopp was very outspoken recently in terms of saying, look, we're playing too much football. These guys are getting two weeks off a year. Something's got to give. Do you agree with that? Well, there, well, there's two elements to that. One is, of course, he needs to make sure the players know he's on their side and that if, if there is a dip in energy levels, he's got a ready-made reason for it. He's got nothing to do with Liverpool wobbling or getting nervous about the title running. But on a bare facts of it, it's... Anything that anything that's successful, people will squeeze as much out of it as they can until it becomes a tipping point. Unfortunately for people like Klopp and football in general, it doesn't seem to have a, a negative impact. It just seems to keep getting more and more exciting. So we haven't reached the point yet where we've had a sort of a raft of games which are dull and lacking in energy where the team's put out. Like, you know, the, the, the Carabao Cup midweek. I mean, I don't think many people were overly excited but they ended up being absolutely thrilling with teams putting out a mix of teams you know some first team players some coming through sort of mm. slight b team element to it but the, because of social media i think fans are totally on top of the players coming through now at clubs and they feel an affinity with them so you you can enter a competition with a so-called b team and it still resonates with the fans and they still care that these players play well for example, I've seen Arsenal a lot in the league and uh, in the cup competitions and in many ways they've felt like more like Arsenal when they've been playing their B team than when they've been playing their A team. It, so if you're a big club and you've got the resources to have players coming through, in a way there's no excuse because you if you choose your priorities, if you feel they're getting tired, you really, this this you know, in this day and age, you've got enough young, good talent to keep you keep the buoyancy, I think. Mm. I suppose, the, you know, inevitably, the unpredictability of it is the injury side of things. Mm -hmm. um, will this game on Sunday be decided, perhaps, by the quality of the defensive replacements on either side? You've got Matip, who's been sensational for Liverpool, out, and you've probably got Dejan Lovren coming into that position, mm -hmm. and City are desperately missing Laporte. Mm. Will that be a key factor? Yeah, I mean, it... it, it Probably will be easier to say in hindsight, I suspect, than, than in preview. But the reality is that Liverpool still have their defensive leader and, and Manchester City don't have their best defender and that might well decide the game. Um, they also don't have a pair... I know Kyle Walker got a goal and assist this weekend, but they don't have fullbacks in peak fitness or form. Uh, and Liverpool do. Uh, and, yeah, it, these games are generally decided by the midfield and defensive errors. Liverpool are flying in midfield. They have so many options there. Fernandinho is not going to be there. Uh, Laporte's not going to be there. You know, Benjamin Mendy has pretty much fallen off the face of Manchester City's first team. And, and I just think Liverpool are stronger in those areas, particularly at Anfield. Uh, there, were, there were signs, I think, on Saturday that if you've got tall defenders, as Southampton have, and you, you, you go into a defensive mindset, 
You can thwart systems. Yeah, he said, they, he they, said, they are quite diminutive. Yeah, he said they defended like trees, didn't they, after yeah. the game. But... Still scored 51 goals this season. <laughs> yes. But they, they left it late mm-hmm. and they, they, they were like Liverpool, crossing a lot and not getting any joy from it. Mm-hmm. And you sort of feel if, you're gonna, if it's going to be fine margins, who's gonna, both teams are going to cross a lot on, you know, in the big game. Who's going to clear them more effectively? It's going to be Liverpool, isn't it? Mm. So in that context then, do you need someone with a craft and a little bit of stardust that David Silva would give you? And we're led to believe, that's quite a dangerous thing whether we accept it or not, that he won't play on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Bernardo Silva was very good in, or has been very good against Liverpool. And he, he hasn't quite been on it this season, but he has a chance to step in. They clearly have a lot of attacking options, but it's about servicing those options. You know, Sergio Aguero's not quite been on it. Lionel Scaloni says he's been carrying an injury all season. Um, you know, his Argentina coach, uh, Raheem Sterling's not quite been at it in the last few weeks. So there is more. There is certainly far more pressure on Manchester City. The reality is, is that Anfield they have not coped with that pressure well. It has been Liverpool that have coped with that pressure better than Manchester City. And and I suspect going back to what we started talking about, that's why Guardiola's trying to get these mind game things in earlier to try and sort of try and deflect some of that pressure because he knows that they kind of need to win it, really. Mm. We have to mention this. VAR, it's turning into some sort of Orwellian nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> Where you've got a bunch of invisible incompetence refereeing games almost remotely. We've got a, a meeting of the Premier League managers this week, which I suspect will be quite decisive in it. I think we've just got to get rid of it or have a three-month moratorium so that they can actually get around the table and work out what exactly they're trying to do. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. I vowed I'd never say a hundred percent, but I so agree a hundred percent. I never wanted it in the first place, so I have to be honest about that. But I've tried really hard to go with it. I think it would be a fantastic thing if the Premier League said, we don't like our game being ruined this way. We'd like to get rid of it, please. Because... A lot of the problems that have been taking place have been because when they when they introduced it, the the mantra was we don't want VAR to spoil the the beauty of the Premier League product. Mm. People tune in to the Premier League because it's fast paced, it's intense, it's it's un, slightly unlike any other league in the world in the, in its intensity and pace and immediacy of it. You know, in a lot of countries, they play it like chess and they can afford to have the odd gap because there are some anyway. It's just at a just a slightly different pace of game. So because they've said we don't we don't want to ruin the product, they've brought in all these various caveats about the high bar was the most obvious one, which meant that 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 then made VAR look stupid. What's the point of having it, for example? You've got I think you have to decide, do you want a product that has long, long pauses in order for the videotape to be looked at or you get rid of it. Uh, A lot of people have said to me when I've said this, oh, but you just introduce a time limit and then that's fine. That won't work at all. If you've got access to video replays, you know if you're in Stockley Park looking at the screens that you have to look for as long as it takes to look. Otherwise, someone else in in a BT studio will look at it for you and at the end of the game they'll say... 
VAR, chap, chap doing VAR, didn't see this angle. Why didn't he see this angle? So you have to keep going. And you can't because you ruin the product if you do. Well, that's exactly what happened at Villa Park, wasn't it? You know, in the case of, you know, the notorious case of Firmino's armpit. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a Sherlock Holmes case. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm exactly the same as, as, as Ali. I didn't, you know, I didn't want it to come in. But even aside from that kind of quasi-philosophical stance, there are two huge issues. One is the the as Ali says, which is the actual use of it at the moment and this kind of seemingly moving high bar from week to week. And it's also the the experience of fans in the stadium because I suspect if you if you polled fans in the stadium versus fans watching on TV, it's those fans in the stadium who dislike it very vocally um, more than anyone else because they're left with no clue what's going on. They're left, even when the decisions are made, they're left just with no red card or no penalty. It's not explained why. So, and that is completely demeaning the product because they just stood around. Oh, are you on? Are you on Twitter? Can you tell me what's going on? Or are you? That's madness. That's not. That's not. That's football being kind of as a as a, a TV concept, not a you know a, a live concept in the grounds. And that's that isn't acceptable. Well, this was brought in as an analytical tool, and all it's doing is generating anger, isn't it? Oh well, yeah, everyone's angry actually. <laughs> I, I I mean, and I suspect. I think the problem is. If you're going to stick with VAR, it might take a couple of, maybe three or four years to work. I don't think that's an acceptable time frame for it to work. For us, you know, it's culturally to accept, to accept it. And I, don't, I, just, I just don't think the will will be there for the game to be spoiled for that long. But, you know, it's, people thought it was going to be magic and it's not mm. magic. All it is is it's another referee. Mm. It's one other bloke in a room looking at screens, which from, I've been to Stockley Park and actually... The screens are quite small and, I, you know, in my living room, my big telly, I get a better view than you get at Stockley Park anyway. And you've got, you've got a bank of three above one and you've got an assistant who helps you rewind and you can have a discussion about, it seems to be at the moment, the discussion is all about let's keep this quick, let's keep this quick, which means let's not analyse something that might be pointless to analyse if earlier in the move there was an infringement so they're constantly rewinding to make sure there wasn't an offside before the foul because there's no point analysing the foul if it was offside first and that takes time, <laughs> so you have to be quick. And I just don't see how one bloke looking at several monitors and being under time pressure is going to improve accuracy. Because it's not a game played by robots or even administered by robots and officiated by robots. We're in a situation where it seems to the outsider that the Premier League or... Um, the referees are almost making up as they go along. We had that with uh, Martin Atkinson needed help yesterday mm. with the um, you know horrendous situation with the Gomez injury. You had Son who was distraught, suddenly being sent off mm. because what was you know one one imagines was an obvious emotional reaction by the referee. Mm. VAR, if he had any help whatsoever should have actually said, hang on a second, yeah. judge, by, judge what you saw rather than what you felt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was the archetypal VAR, VAR incident. VAR, isn't, VAR, VAR is a man who is a referee yeah. who agrees with him, mm. who happens to agree yeah. with him. And referees think they've got papal infallibility, don't they? <laughs> I mean, th- this, this, this only came in because over a period of years, maybe even decades, people, supporters, managers, struggled to cope with the concept that human beings can make mistakes and therefore referees became scapegoats for the mistakes of others and so as you say 
how that they suddenly thought that just getting another person in to help was going to re- reduce those human mistakes rather than increase them is beyond my you know beyond my imagination and yeah the reality is is that nobody was mature enough to deal with the concept that people make mistakes strikers make mistakes goalkeepers make mistakes managers make mistakes and referees make mistakes and so that's, do we yeah and that's part of the game but because of that we've now moved to a, a, a farcical situation where this supposed magic fix people have suddenly realised that the R stands for referee. It doesn't stand for robot. It, it doesn't make everything OK. Yeah. Peter Walton said today in The Times he, he agreed with it being a red card for Son. So if he'd been... But they always VAR, agree with one another, don't so they? What, so, what, so in what way does VAR offer an unemotional response? If, if you're a referee and you take the view... It is erroneous. It should have a sense of detachment, though. It should encourage a sense of detachment. With the, with the guy in the, in the screen, in his industrial estate, looking at this and thinking, look, I know why the referee has done this, simply because it's an emotional reaction, and I would probably have done the same. I've got the, the distance, both emotionally and in terms of miles, to actually make a, the right decision. And that pressure. brings the bar down to almost ground level then, doesn't it? Because you are overriding the man in, on the field of play who is supposed... To, his advantage over Stockley Park is that he can feel the, the, the power, the, the movement of the game, the atmosphere of the game. And sometimes... And I, that's why I want the referee on the field to have total control, because once you slow things down in an air-conditioned room, they don't bear any relation at all to what was actually going on. You need to, you need to be in the thick of it to know the intent and the pace of a tackle and the mood of a match, you need to know that. Mm. Which is why you're right, but the strict rules of the game is you don't, you don't issue a card based on what happens four seconds later. You're not mm. supposed to. Mm. Just to reiterate, it is a flesh and blood game. And I thought that was um, embodied by Deli Alley after that Tottenham game. He, he spoke very well and with great, I think, emotional intelligence and maturity. Um, and do we sometimes forget that, you know, Everyone's saying, Ali, he's in decline, he's losing it. He's a young player mm. who's had significant injury. We don't give him, we don't cut him any slack whatsoever. No, and that, I mean, that is a, you know, that's not just a Delhi Ali thing. That's a, a direct result of a game that has very little patience for anything other than consistent perfection. Yeah. Um, purely because we've we've made it so, or it has been made so overwhelmingly important and serious as it becomes a business and everything matters so much more. Yeah, I feel for Deli Ali because we've made players kind of halfway between robots and kind of performing circus animals in that we demand for our entry fee, we demand everything we want, not a game that happens in front of us and we happen to witness it. We want the end result that we demand. And any player, woe betide any player and any referee who gets in the way of that. And that's where the impatience stems from. Young players will decline. Young, you know, maybe Deli Ali hasn't completely helped himself. Maybe he would be honest with himself and say, you know, if I had my time again, I might do things slightly differently. But, you know, people make mistakes. He's 23 years old and being handed a huge contract at 20 years old is pretty hard to deal with. The I, think. Other, I think the other, the, the reason I would narrow in on Deli Ali as, as opposed to it being any, any young, especially English player, is that he has a manager who never, ever criticises him. Pochettino has been so paternalistic towards Deli Alley. I think I think a lot of pundits feel they're taking the place of the critical manager. Mm. No matter what Deli Alley's done, whether it's been a, a red card or 
a poor performance or an attitude problem or off the field problem or just stories about his personal life, whatever's happened, um, Pochettino has, has, has treated him like his, his favoured son in a way. In public? Well, he said, and he says in private, he, he, he's, he'd much rather put his arm around Deli Ali than, than shout at him. But the the point is, I think there's a vacuum there for for, for criticism. So if he's if, if if the manager is not is saying there's always an excuse, there's always an excuse. He's a wonderful, wonderful young man, and he's encouraging. Then you that, that vacuum will inevitably. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying the vacuum will be filled by criticism. Mm. Spurs really have to get their act together in the Champions League. You know, they did so in the home league against the Red Star. Um, they should win on Wednesday, or sh will they win on Wednesday, I suppose is the question. Um, because if you look at the English clubs this week, uh, you know, look at City and, and also Liverpool, they've got very you know, winnable ties, let's mm. put it like that. What are you looking for from Tottenham in the Champions League? I mean... They should win, but no away game is a gimme <laughs> for Tottenham at the moment. Um, I think the the thing we've all um, been most disappointed by is the kind of lack of intensity, particularly in, in midfield. That pressing of the ball seems to have, have completely gone, whether that's fatigue, whether that's you know complacency because they feel that they've already peaked and they suspect that the manager might think that they've already peaked and whether it's Pochettino's mood of not getting enough players dripping down to the place, whatever it is, there's a general lack of intensity in the team. And you don't need to drop 20, 30% for teams to expose you at the highest level. You only need to drop two or 3%. You only needs to be two or three missed, you know, missed tackles or intercepted passes a game and you can be punished. And that's what's happening to Tottenham at the moment. And yeah, no away games are gimme and, and they really do need to win because, I mean, the game yesterday at Everton, just forget all the, the stuff that happened at the end, the horrible stuff. It was pretty painful for watch for both teams, really. <laughs> it was not enjoyable. And, yeah. and Christian Eriksen gave the ball away more than any other player yeah. on the pitch. Mm. This is Christian Eriksen, who, you know, was, was the reason that Tottenham were ticking so beautifully mm. for so long. Like you can't afford. Well, he's a semi-detached version of well, you, Christian Eriksen. If you're playing him, you can't afford for him to mm. to do that, and that that must spread throughout the team. Because yeah. if if you if you've relied on him for so many seasons, I think we forget how long he's been there. If you rely on him to be the the mechanism that keeps you ticking along, and it's just not working, that 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 has a ripple effect throughout the whole team. Mm. What I'm going to be interested to look at is. Sheffield United being at the new White Hart Lane at the weekend. I think we should pause a little bit here and just examine and perhaps praise the work that Chris Wilde has done there. It's an amazing achievement so far, isn't it? He is the manager of the season so far and he's been the manager of the last five years, probably. Um, the only competitor for that, I think, is probably Danny Cowley, who did wonderful things at Lincoln and, and, and now at Huddersfield. But, yeah, I mean, it's astonishing. And it's done through... Kind of like Sean Dyche, it's done through a, an almost deliberate railing against what is expected of him. You know, we've got this kind of technical revolution with, with young English players at the moment that is felt is needed to catch up with, with players abroad. And yet this is a man who is, would describe himself as salt of the earth. He's got a very innovative tactical plan, but basically relies on telling the players, you've got to work harder than everyone else. And if you don't do that, you won't be in my team. You know, there's no... Dean Henderson makes a, a horrible mistake against Liverpool and everyone expects the manager to come out and defend him. He says, well, why would I defend him? Like, he's a professional goalkeeper. He shouldn't be making that mistake. And it, it is refreshing because it's so different. Um, and I would say it, 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 it 
it, they will not finish. I don't think they'll finish in the top six this season. They're, they're sixth at the moment. Aww. But Sorry. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because if you show that you can do this and you've done it at Northampton and you can do it against... You show you can do it anywhere. It shows that that can be replicated. It's not magic. You know, it's not a miracle. It's based on logic and processes and hard work and that means it you know that means you can do it again mm. i had a long sit down with him before the season started uh he's i mean he's really entertaining company <laughs> but he uh basically he doesn't want anyone in that team who isn't isn't desperate to play i mean desperate he likes picking on players who might have had a bit of a a bad spell or felt they've been badly treated he, he, he looks at them. He says, mm. "I want to see the absolute hunger and desperation." The minute and the minute it falters or flickers, you're, in, you're on the bench. Yeah, I think there's, a, there's. I think nine of the team that played the weekend started at a Premier League academy and were signed from the football league. So he loves those, as you say, yeah. he loves those players who feel they've got something to prove. Actually, I don't belong there. I belong here now, and it just works, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, he picks, picks up players along the way, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. In his own way, Frank Lampard is doing a fantastic job as well. Um, Probably the highlight of the week for me, Ajax at, at Stamford Bridge. They've won seven away games on the bounce. Is it time now for Chelsea to start asserting themselves at home? Yeah, and that's quite a grown-up job for him to do, actually, because it's... Uh, Stamford Bridge... It's not, not quite a fortress, actually, and it, it's sort of designed... It's quite a small pitch, and it's designed for teams to be able to be negative and then try and catch on the break. And, and, and quite a few teams do seem to feel they can do that. I mean, Sheffield United, they got mm. a point They got a point doing that uh, this season already. It, it's, it's somewhere that, you know, we, we were talking earlier about Anfield sizzling. The bridge isn't like that. It just isn't like that. It has to be an absolutely big, big, big There is a lightness of mood there, though, isn't there, at the moment? There's a lightness of mood. Oh, God, I've never seen them so happy. Really? I don't think I have. It's, it's all falling into place for them. They, it's so important for there to be a connection between the stands and the, and the team. And um, Frank Lampard wasn't a, a Chelsea boy, but he was very good at endearing himself. And he stayed there so long as a player that he became one of theirs. And to have him as their manager... And that sort of, you know, it's like, it's just like the icing is, is that he's come at a time when he has to bring through Academy Boys, that it's, it's just the perfect, perfect scenario for Chelsea fans who've had, they've been spoiled. They've been really spoiled. And they, they, in a way you could say, what, 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 you know, what, what, why, why are they so happy? They, they should have been happy for years. But what they've had is a succession of, of, of overseas managers on, and that sort of short-termism plan Come in, bit of glory, go again. And, it, well, it's all right, because we had John Terry on the pitch. It's fine. Um, um, we, we, we grew to really love Frank Lampard. It's fine. But then the minute there was a disconnect and they just felt, oh, we, we're, you know, we've got all these chaps who've been with, with Chelsea since they were five years old and they're, they're all over the world and not at a club. And almost in one fell swoop, because of the transfer ban and because of appointing Frank Lampard, they've got all their Christmases at once. And they haven't had to wait as long as everyone predicted they would have to wait for it to be successful. And it's, um, you're right, they need to get a bit more together and intimidating at Stamford Bridge. But they're on a trajectory now, Chelsea. Mm. And I just love, most of all, I love the way that Frank Lampard has integrated the older, wiser heads with the younger ones. And it's worked. The sort of thing that should work on paper and is really hard to make happen... 
but you can you can see it really clearly the way that someone like Kovacic with all his experience has come in and all he really wants to do is win the ball and make sure that Tammy Abraham gets it perfect yeah well, you mentioned Kovacic Jorginho what a difference a season makes yeah it's it, and what it does is it um, the, the 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 thing that the young players have done by you know no one is in that no one's in that team on goodwill and because they're young they're in there on merit you know it's a complete meritocracy which has created this competition for places whereby Antonio Rudiger's not really played yet this season and Golo Kante's been injured for most of the season Olivia Giroud and Michi Batshuayi are all both kind of desperate for minutes there's this competition for places which then kind of spurs on everyone so it becomes almost self-fulfilling just by those young players performing to the level that or at a level that Frank Lampard dreamed of but must have you know must have assumed might not happen instantly, you've suddenly got this huge competition for places at Stamford Bridge which just lifts everyone up. It's, it, it, is, it is great to see and, and, and all power to them because, as Ali says, nobody really saw this coming this quickly. Mm. So if Chelsea are the ying, what about Manchester United? They're the yang, aren't they? <laughs> um, you know, what do you make of what's going on there? I think probably no-one was surprised that they lost at Bournemouth, which tells you a lot, doesn't it? Yes. I don't want to sound pretentious, but... The way the world is, great empires decline. And it it feels like no matter how much money you throw at Manchester United, no matter who you appoint as manager, it's an empire in decline. I watched, um, did you see it also? There's a a new Busby documentary uh, coming out next week. I saw a preview of it. But it was most interesting, I think, that it was, you know, it was billed as having, you know, new footage and new insight and so on. But actually, it's, it's, whenever you look at Manchester United, it's the same old story. It's how they, how, how they emerged from the Munich tragedy, how they built an empire, got absolutely lucky that they were able to go another strata up under the Ferguson years. And that's almost asking too much of any organisation to have two great empires. Where is, I don't know where the third can come from. And I think part of the problem at Manchester United is that there's this idea that we ought to be big and ought to be winning and ought to be top of the tree. And there's no ought left now in Premier League football. Mm. It it needs to be, oh, scraped back, really looked at in depth. You can't make assumptions that if you just sign the world's most expensive defender, you automatically solve your defensive problems. It doesn't work that way. Mm. And maybe, maybe they have to hit even further struggles to be able to be reborn again but I do feel they're like that it's like a big tanker at sea it's not going to turn quickly yeah well they've also got according to them anyway a billion fans who makes who <laughs> believes this nonsense it's a difficult headcount isn't it yeah, uh, yeah I mean it is it is and and that billion fans thing is you know extrapolate that and it's it's the same thing it's a kind of almost a, a hard-wired arrogance that came with victory that they, is still lingering even when they're not winning games. There's mm. still... You know, I, I think the really interesting thing is look at Serie A this season. You've got Romelu Lukaku's second top scorer. You've got Chris Smalling who's earning rave reviews in defence. Look what happened to Memphis Depay when he left and started being brilliant in Liga. And there's clearly some systematic, systemic problems in that club which is stopping players from fulfilling their potential. I think I've said it on here before... Who was the last player that Manchester United signed that improved their reputation at the club? You know, Paul Pogba struggles, Romelu Lukaku struggles. Everyone struggles. Uh, and that's under different managers, that's under different, you know, shapes of system. And it, it, I mean, 
they are being mismanaged from the top down and they're rotten from the top down. And until that changes, you know, I think it will be deck chairs on the Titanic. I really do, because they can go out and get another big name manager, but does it change? Does it actually change anything? Or is are we still praising Scott McTominay for trying hard? As if that's the, <laughs> yeah. the, the most we should expect from a Manchester United player. I like the way you took my tanker at sea. <laughs> yeah, change it. <laughs> and then turn it into the Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, they've got Partizan at home in the Europa League on Thursday. Is that um, perhaps a little bit of an insurance policy, the, the Europa League for them? Currently, it's currently the question, isn't it? What do, what do Man United need to win in order not to be seen as, as failure? Is it going to be uh, Carabao mm. Cup or Europa League? They're not going to make the top four, are they? It doesn't look that way, no. And if I'm going to be true to what I said, I, I, don't, I, I don't see that there's going to be a short-term solution to what's going on. They, they, they need to think long and hard about their... Um, their approach in general, but you can't do that if it's rotten from the top. You, you, no. no one's going to do it. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that maybe maybe you're right, Mike. Maybe they'll just keep limping along and do well in do well in the the lesser. Tro- you know, I mean, they have to, and that's how they have been going, isn't it? Since mm. Ferguson left, they've yeah. you know, it's not been silverware free. They're still competing in trophies. It's just they don't have that aura anymore. Yeah, they're still genuinely reflect, genuine reflecting before. You know, their supposed tradition of you know, producing younger players. You've got, um, you know, Brandon Williams is the latest coming. He looks like he'll make his first Premier League start against Brighton at the weekend. Um, and actually looks good enough to cause Luke Shaw a few problems. Yeah, and it, uh, but it, in this scenario and in these circumstances, it's hard to work out whether we're play, praising kind of tallest dwarf competition. You know, is it, these are players who are at least trying. That's basically it. You know, you, you look at the intensity in, that, in the Liverpool performance and it was good and it was there. And you think, well, hang on a minute. Solskjaer is a, a guy and the reason he talks about the 90s and the cliff and Barcelona famous nights is because he's trying to inspire players. But how he can get them up for the game against Liverpool but then be so abject against Bournemouth and so kind of lifeless, it reflects really badly on everyone because... This is their job. This is what they should be doing. Times are hard, and when times are hard, you have to go, right, we'll dig in and get through this. And it seems like it's only those young players who come in and really want to stay in the team that are trying. That's Scott McTominay's done it. Andreas Pereira's only in the team because he shows a bit of fight. No one else really is showing it. Harry Maguire, maybe, Aaron Wambasaka, maybe, but that's only because they're new and they haven't caught this. You know, Man United disease yet. So it's really, really hard to work out where the positivity comes from. Mm. If you're looking at positivity and you're looking at benign but pretty demanding ownership, you've only got to look at Leicester. 23 points, they're ahead of schedule from their title year. Um, 9-0 was probably a blip of some form. How good can they be under Brendan Rodgers? Uh, well, I think what's impressed me the most is... And in a way, this does reflect their title-winning season, is that, is, is that Claudio Ranieri famously did not tinker when he went in. He just fine-tuned. And that seems to be what Rodgers has done, in a sense. He's, he's, he's not tried to change the sort of base level of what Leicester stand for. He's just taken, taken iconic figures like Schmeichel and Vardy and made them the core of the team, but just asked, just slightly fine-tune it so that um, Vardy is asked not to be, you know, harem scarem, but to to time his pressing in a bit more of a grown-up way so that when he when he does dash in, he's more likely to be clinical, um, patient and just, just utilising his, his undoubted energy better, more focused and so on. But it still feels, it doesn't feel like someone's come in and radically overhauled 
all the feel of the team. It's still got the same, the same, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it does feel a bit like the Leicester of, of when they won the title season. Uh, those quick counter-attacks, that very crisp passing, and, and most of all, a sense of um, why not? And, you know, it's not that long ago that they won the title. And I think if you go into a club that has won the title, you have to, don't you have to keep reminding them of that? You're good enough. You've won the title. Most of the teams Leicester face have not. And the, the fans sing it every week, you know, champions of England, you'll never be that. And they won't, but Leicester were. So if you can tap into that sense of, why not give them a sense of entitlement? Don't make it a joke. Don't make it a blip. Make it a fact. You, you know, quite recently you won the title. You can win it again. You're, you're better than most of these teams. Mm. Have confidence in your passing and your pace. Look how scared people are of us. And that, I mean, that's the 9-0, you, you know, it's not going to happen every week. But it will be at the back of the minds of a lot of defenders yeah. they face. That, you know, if you get it wrong, you can, you'll be really punished. So it is, it is good, I think, when a manager goes in and sees what's already there and builds on that rather than thinking, oh, we can't live in the past, it's ridiculous, we've got to change the way the clubs run. I just think the managers that came just immediately before... Uh, Rogers, they didn't almost didn't see what they had in front of their eyes. Mm. And if you look at Leicester, you know, some, some very identifiable strengths, character within the team, mm. someone like Johnny Evans, recruitment, Soyonku has basically made made sure they don't miss Maguire. Mm. There is a a cohesion to it all, which is a lesson to a lot of clubs, which probably hasn't been heeded. Yeah, and, and you look at the transfers that are coming and, and in hindsight, they just look like natural fits, which is very easy to say when they've done well. But you know, Wilfred Ndidi is a star in the making. Ricardo Pereira and Ben Chilwell are probably the second best fullbacks in the league after Liverpool. Jamie Vardy, is, as, as, as Alice says, has been fine-tuned. I think the character is, is everything. It was really interesting, I thought, when Leicester scored the ninth goal against Southampton, Johnny Evans was like, come on, let's go again. We can score 10 here. And that... That's easy to do, but that's remarkable for a... Mm. That's a player that says, you know what, I know the Premier League record's 9-0. It was my old team that did it, and I quite fancy breaking it with this team. And that's the sort of thing that Rodgers taps into every single time mm. because he loves that. He, you know, it, it almost becomes quite comical to the extent that he, he enjoys that character in players. But it's for a reason. It counts for something. It really does. Because in those tight games, he'll get it done because of that character. Mm. And also, you know, to, to Ali's point... You know, people are saying, if Brendan Rodgers keeps going, he'll get a big job. Well, he's got a big job. You know, oh, well, Chilwell will go to Manchester United or James Madison, who looks like an England number 10, mm. will, get, will get his big move. They don't need to move. No, no. And that's one of the, the indirect results of, of the vast increase in broadcasting revenues in the Premier League is that those supposedly middle-of-the-road teams are as rich as the big clubs used to be. So they don't need to sell if they don't want to. And if they do sell, it's for whacking great transfer fees and they've already you know they've already had the money before to to buy the recruitment in so young to come straight into the team uh there's a if you if you took away the badges and you took away the history and you looked at those teams leicester are better than 16 17 other premier league teams at the moment mm. player for player never mind the form they're in and the manager they've got so yeah exactly as Alice says there's no reason why not yeah they're next at home to arsenal Taxi for Unai Emery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, strange times at Arsenal, I would say. You were there on Saturday. I was there you? on Saturday and I was there the week before as well, where, you know, I, I hardly know where to begin. It, it's, 
I'll begin with the fact that they keep saying there's 60,000 people in the stadium and there are not. There's empty seats and there are booze. It's, and, and, and for a long time, it's been the... If you go around... I've been doing this 25 years. You go around the grounds and you do get a sense of how they differ. And Arsenal's, for a long time now, under the disappointing Wenger years, should we call them that, it took very little to, to change the mood. Very little indeed. And yeah, I'll give them credit. They start, they start, even though it's not a full stadium, they do start positive, the fans. But very, it, just it takes very little for them to, oh, I've had enough of this. And you, I don't know what effect that has on the team. But if, if you're ahead and you concede, as they did against Crystal Palace and then they did against, um, again on Saturday, it's like if the crowd then turn, what are you telling the players? You're telling the players, oh, we do, well, we, don't, we think this is over now. Well, it's not, not over at all. It's, it really isn't. This is football. It sways back and forth. You have to keep going with it. There's a sense, I think, that the club are giving out that they don't, they're not ready to get rid of Emery. I think part of the reason is they do not want fan power yet again to determine their policy over management. Fan power meant that the Wenger era ended sordidly, I think. It didn't end the way it should have done. And they don't want this to happen again with... You know, we're, getting, we're losing um, a captain who isn't in the squad in the form of Granite Jacker because the fans turned on him and he turned back on them. Then what? Oh, the fans turn on the manager. Oh, well, we have to get rid of him and bring in somebody else. This is not a way to run the football club. And I can see why there'd be a determination not to. But if you park all that, I still, I do feel some sympathy with fans who, 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 who remain polite but say they are baffled by what Emery is trying to do. It is very hard to pin down what an Emery team is. Mm. Watching them on Saturday, it took me 15 minutes to convince myself I got the formation correct because I couldn't quite believe my own eyes, to be quite honest. How was he... Wh where, where is he playing? How is he fitting the team, you know, team around? Is he, tr is he building this team around Ozil playing? Yes, he does seem to be doing that. So we've got Gwendouzi playing as a, a lone holding midfielder, whereas all season they've had two in two holding and Wolves are a very good attacking... Wolves couldn't believe their luck, actually. <laughs> 25 shots at the Emirates. Bang, 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 bang. And they were really disappointed they didn't win because they could see how porous Arsenal were. And Emery says um, that last season his job was to shore up the defence. This season his job is to attack. I, I, maybe it's a translation thing, but I mean, they do go hand in hand. You can't just say it's going to be one than the other. It's, it's mm. a combination. And it does seem to be game from game. We're seeing a rewriting of each the script each time. And it shouldn't be. There's, it should be an identity of what mm. Arsenal are, not fiddling around with it so that you just often hand, hand the impetus to the opposition. Yeah. Well, players like Aubameyang, for, for instance, you know, 50 goals in 78 games, he's going to start basically walking, isn't he? Yeah, because they feel still like a team for whom the manager's been in charge a fortnight and who's still <laughs> watching them in training for the first time and going, oh, he's back from injury, I haven't seen him play before, I wonder how he can fit in. 16 months into his job now, that should all have been done a long, long time ago. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, he will, I think he will go pretty soon. The, the, the fan stuff is unpleasant, but Emery has done very little, unfortunately, for him to help his own cause. And... Um, there are still at Arsenal, even though they haven't been in the Champions League for a few years now, there is still a draw factor for big-name managers who would like to be the ones to turn that 
And now you're going to say the name Jose Mourinho. I certainly am. <laughs> I think that... The PR th- campaign's already begun it, on his Well, I was going to say, it? yeah, I think that is probably at the moment a, a one-sided thing. Look, I mean, I, I wrote in the review, my review column this morning that Emery's biggest crime is so far is making some Arsenal fans clamour for Jose Mourinho <laughs> to be their match manager, who is pretty much the antithesis of everything they were under Wenger's pre-disappointment years. Uh, and would be a heck of a, a leap in a different direction. Not necessarily right or wrong, but certainly different. Uh, I, I, a, club, a club's got to have an identifiable culture, and, and Jose Mourinho at Arsenal just doesn't compute, does it? Well, no. I mean, he would be brought in as such a mercenary. You would be, <laughs> you would be burying your identity completely. Mm. You'd be saying, you'd be basically saying, we're lost, we're lost at sea. Let's keep the sea <laughs> Yeah, going. good, yeah. We're lost at sea. And we just need a pirate to come in and, and, and just make sure we don't sink. That, I mean, it, it, would, it, would, it would smack of desperation. This is not to, to, to decry all the achievements Mourinho has, but at the moment, right now, as it stands, to bring in Mourinho would be for Arsenal to say, we give up. Yeah. Well, Danny Taylor of The Athletic reported seeing a Wenger in banner at the Emirates on Saturday. Says it all, really. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas Bien Podcasts. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish, but you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast, so everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chisme Ajeno too, a section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos, vamos a hacer tus, tus nuevas amigas. amigas. 
We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.